0: Grace, mercy and peace to you from God our Father, from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and from the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's start off today in prayer. Lord God heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for this chance to come together and worship you whether here in this room joining online. Lord, we thank you for that chance. And we pray that we would take advantage of that chance to actually be present. Lord, help us to focus on you. Lord, I thank you for the chance to share your words and Lord of I pray that they are your words. Move me out of the way. This isn't about me. This isn't what I thought up. This is what you have to say. And so I submit myself to your Holy Spirit. And I pray that all who hear these words would be courageous enough and bold enough to do the same as we submit ourselves to you, Lord. Let your truth be known in your name. Amen. So question, little little interactive time. By a show of hands, who here would consider yourselves to be a football fan, NFL or college? Football fans. All right, I see, I see some more excited than others. Now, just out of curiosity, how many of you think today the Chiefs are going to win? Raise your hand. Not saying who you're rooting for, but who you think is going to win. Chiefs. How many of you think the Eagles are going to win? How many of you just found out that the Chiefs and Eagles are playing today? Yeah. See, those of you who raised your hand for the first bit where I asked who's a football fan, there's a decent chance that something's gonna happen today. There's a decent chance you'll be around other people and you'll be watching the game or the commercials or whatever, and somebody who didn't raise their hand is gonna go, hold hold on, what's happening? And they're going to ask you some detailed thing about rules. You know, well, why are, why are they not kicking the ball? Why are they throwing the ball? Uh, is that Why is that not a catch, right? And hopefully you'll be able to answer. Maybe not if that was the question, whether it's a catch or not, because it seems the NFL doesn't know sometimes. But they'll ask you these kind of questions. And I pray that God will give you some patience in that moment to explain the finer rules of a very complex game. And I pray... That God also gives you discernment to know whether they're asking a simple question to kind of participate or they actually want to know because the difference of like, well, see, he dropped the ball. That's why. Or you like go into the history and next thing you know, you're talking about Tom Brady and the tuck rule from whatever year and you're like, oh, you didn't want to know all that information, did you? Um, I pray that God gives you the discernment so that you're not boring somebody during your Super Bowl party. As a pastor, I have to have that same discernment rather frequently where somebody asks some theological question, and I have to say, how much do they actually want to know? Is it just to appease them, to make them feel better, or are they looking for something really in-depth that I can bust out the Greek and the Hebrew and really really teach them a thing? See, this is, this is the tension of Christianity. This is what Paul is talking about in the epistle. He's saying that when he was in Corinth, uh, he was there for over a year, probably up to a year and a half, establishing the church in this very multicultural city. And what I can kind of glean from what he's saying here is he's caught wind of this standard complaint that many pastors have received that, hey, this other guy teaches a better Bible study than you. That's essentially what's happening, because Apollos has taken over, and Paul is saying, well, yeah, Apollos is great. Apollos, he does the whole Greek philosophy thing. He goes really deep. But listen, you guys weren't ready for that when I was there. He basically is saying, I was doing it on purpose. Yeah, I was just teaching you that way on purpose, right? And so he's saying, you guys were you were being fed spiritual milk. You weren't ready for solid food yet, right? And I have to say, at this point, I, I have to be who I am. I have to preach my style. I have to let my personality show through. But I also recognize that that doesn't connect with everybody. And that's okay. That's why we have Pastor Jason preach. That's why we have other people preach at times, right? That's why there are other churches and other things. And as I said during our confession, we have to be okay with the reality of different voices. That it's not about me. It's not about Pastor Jason. It's not about whoever. It's about God, right? And when we fall into the trap of competition and rivalry, we lose. And so we have to be open to the kingdom of God. It's like this. It's like, it's like I'm a chef, and I recognize you're not going to like every dish that I cook, but I just want to make sure that you're well-fed and that you're eating healthy somewhere, right? So with that in mind, with that, that whole idea in mind, we, we look at this whole milk and solid food, and we see a problem. The problem is that Christianity is overwhelmingly complex and also incredibly simple. It exists in this tension at the same time. And of course, in the Lutheran Church, because of this overwhelming complexity to become a pastor, I went through four years of postgraduate schooling, heavy academic stuff, to get to where I am today as did Pastor Jason, as did any Lutheran church, Missouri Synod pastor. And I remember as I was going through that, uh, hearing a story of, a, a, <laughs> I, th- I think it was a Baptist church, it might have been a non-denominational church, where they named a five-year-old as one of their pastors. And I'm like, I have studied Greek and Hebrew longer than that boy has been. Now, I believe in the Holy Spirit speaking through people, but like, man, here I am learning all sorts of conjugations and stuff, and, and uh, I, I find myself getting bogged down at times in this academia. And because we learn so much, oftentimes Lutheran pastors can get stuck in the weeds. Sometimes we say, hey, I learned antinomianism. I learned about the Donatist heresy, so I got to teach my people that. And you guys are like, what? What is he going on about now? Well, I learned it. I have to share it, right? That's the concept. But the thing is, you guys, you guys are lucky because I... I didn't grow up steeped in the church. I don't have any pastors in the family. Like, my dinner table wasn't talking heady theological concepts. And I have a lot of people in my life that are outside the church. So I understand the the difficult transition to go from from drinking spiritual baby's milk to, like, being handed spiritual Oysters Rockefeller, (laughs) right? And you're going, "Ah, I don't want this. I don't understand this. I don't. Yeah, right? So... It's With that in mind, though, that as I look across the landscape of Christianity, as I look at various churches, as I look at at pastors trying to simplify things into a way that people will understand, that's more digestible, I see that there is one particular doctrine that's very foundational, very core, a little complex, but if you get this one doctrine wrong, it destroys people's faith. It destroys their connection with the church, and more than that, it can destroy relationships, it can cause divorce, it can cause self-confidence issues, depression, just from this one single foundational issue. I've talked about these two terms before, justification and sanctification, okay? Both of them are works. They're things that are done right? Justification is the work of uh, salvation, right? It is what gets us into heaven as Christians. And this idea of justification, this idea is that we have sin in our lives. We We have done things wrong according to God's law, the way things were designed. And because we do them wrong, there is a debt that we rack up. There's a cost to this, of course, And justice says that cost must be paid. Now, we could try and pay that ourselves, but we we don't have the cost. We don't have what it takes. No, what it's saying is that, that the law of God brings about this debt, and the only way for that debt to be paid is with a Savior. The other, there's justification, the other is sanctification. And that is the lifelong quest, the lifelong struggle to be a better person, right? So you have one that saves us through a savior, justification, and the other is the lifelong struggle to be a better person. And when we confuse those two or flip them, it ruins everything. See, the core of Christianity is is we have this debt. We need need to be reconciled. And the only way for that to really happen is through a savior. The trouble is not everybody buys into that core ideology. I've got a good friend who's outside the church, and he tells me that his life's motto is don't be a jerk, right? Don't be a jerk, which is, that's a solid life's motto. Terrible religious philosophy, though, right? Because it, it's not just that. It's because if the, your, your religious philosophy is be a good person, that's it. Just be a good person, then you have to be a perfect person. If it's that you're trying to live in this balance of everything that I do that's good and everything that I do that's evil, you're gonna end up with more evil, and so you have to keep pushing. That's what Jesus is getting at here in the gospel reading today. I know it comes across as incredibly condemning, but remember, this is all part of one larger message. As Jesus does this whole bit about adultery and about swearing and about all these different things, anger, It's all part of a much larger sermon that we have chunked up and said, we're going to use this part and this part and this part. And what he said just previous to this is he says that your righteousness, if you are relying on your own righteousness, must exceed that of the scribe and the Pharisee. So the illustration I've used the two weeks now is is the whole idea of walking down the aisle, right? Adding all these different rules onto to the law of God right? And what Jesus is saying, okay, if that is how you're going to, to reach justification, if that's how you're going to be saved, and you think that being there is what makes you a good person, he's saying, no, 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 you have it all wrong. You have to be like on memorial drive. You have to be so far beyond what you even think. Like if you're focused on the sixth commandment, thou shalt not commit adultery, well guess what? Committing adultery means even looking at somebody with lust in your heart, if he's saying it's fifth commandment, thou shalt not murder. You feel like you're pretty good when it comes to not murdering people. He says, well, hold on. It goes further than that because even if you harbor anger towards another person, and I don't know what the, the 30 AD Jerusalem equivalent of Highway 45 is, But I'd be willing to bet that we have experienced anger and so had they. He's saying, listen, you can't rely on righteousness because this is what it means to follow the law of God perfectly. This isn't law, this is gospel because what he ultimately is saying is y'all need a savior. Y'all need somebody who can pay this price for you because you can't do it on your own. You're, you're trying to have this pressure on you to win your own salvation. He is Jesus. He is the way. He is the one who came to bring forgiveness, to pay the price of the debt that we rack up. That's justification. That's why we are Christian followers of Christ. That is how we know that we are loved because God came to this earth, lived the perfect life, and then died the perfect sacrifice. That's what gets us into heaven. That's how we know that God loves us full stop. That's justification. Now, sanctification, that's saying now that you have been set free of the pressure of trying to live this righteous life, now don't be a jerk, <laughs> right? Now try and live a bit. It's, it's like this. It's like this, okay. Those of you who have kids, you love your kids, right? They're, they're God's gift to you, little angels, right? Whether they're your own flesh and blood or adoption, right? You love your kids. They can do no wrong. But boy, I wish they'd clean up their room every now and again, right? I, I wish that they'd eat their vegetables every now and again. I, I still love them. I still love these kids. I still love that they are a part of my family, but I wish that they would just be a little bit better. That's God's mindset towards us. I still love you, but there's still a challenge there because he knows, he knows that we can be better. But see, so often we flip those. We flip that justification, I love you no matter what, and put in that sanctification, you must be better. And we say that if you act this way or look this way or talk this way or worship this way or behave this way, then God loves you and you're part of the church. When we flip things, that's how you get looking at, at our gospel reading and you're thinking, oh, well, see there? People who commit these sexual sins, they're not part of the church. People who get divorced, they're not part of the church. That's how you come into these heresies. That's how you come into these problems. God's justification is in spite of our sin. When we flip those things, we lose sight of what God's love means. We start to put conditions on God's unconditional love. And this doesn't just happen theologically. This doesn't just happen between you and God. This happens in relationships constantly. As a pastor, I'll sit and be going through a marriage counseling session with somebody and uh, and I'll hear words like this. Like the wife will say, "Well, If only he'd pull his weight around the house more with the chores. And she'd say, well, if only she would nag me less. If only he made the right reservation for Valentine's Day, which is coming up, guys, by the way, just FYI. It's coming up on Tuesday, so don't forget. Maybe you already forgotten this is your reminder. Cool. Make sure your wife didn't notice that. Um, So they make these if statements. This isn't just spouses' relationships. It's also if my kid figures out the right path, then they're welcome home. If my kid apologizes, if my kid stops doing what they're doing, if they stop identifying that way, if they stop doing this, then I'll show them the love. If I just lose weight, then I'll love myself. If I just gain this uh, get this money, if I just get this promotion, if I just have this status, if I just have a spouse, then I know I'll be complete. if, if, if we're adding conditions onto love that should be unconditional, we're flipping justification and sanctification, and it's destroying our lives. If you've heard nothing else, if you've just been sitting here spacing out this whole time, hear this. Listen, t- tune in, right? If you're taking notes, this is the thing to write down. Because all those things that I just mentioned, all of those things are good things, right? Right? Helping out around the house, nagging less, uh, uh, being more responsible, losing weight, having a better, whatever it is, all those things are good things to strive for, all goals to try and achieve. Those are good things. But don't let your hope for growth become conditional love. Don't let your hope for growth become conditional love. I'm going to say it one more time because they say it takes three times to hear something. Don't let your hope for growth become conditional love. That is true of your relationship with God. That is true of your relationship with your spouse, with your your partner, your boyfriend, your girlfriend. That's true of your relationship with your family, your friends, your relationship with yourself, your relationship with your church. Don't let your hope for growth become conditional love because God's love for you is not conditional God isn't waiting for you to be a better person to love you. He loves you right now. He loves you right now. Even though he knows about the mistakes of your past, he knows about the mistakes you're doing, even right now he knows, and yet his love for you is right now. And yet he still challenges you because he knows you can do you can be better he challenges you because he knows you and loves you and he trusts you he knows what you're capable of he knows the potential you have so challenge yourself to continue to live that sanctified life growing ever closer to what God has designed for this world What God designed for you when he made you we get caught up in complex ideas so I'm gonna make this as simple as possible God made you. He knows you. He knows your personality. He knows your strengths. He knows your weaknesses. He knows your story. And he loves you right now. He also knows what you're capable of. And he challenges you to grow, to be more how he designed you to be, to be more how he designed this world to be. But whether you achieve those goals or not doesn't change the fact that he loves you, no matter what. That's the message of our God. That is justification and sanctification. It's as simple as that. And so I pray that we can continue to grow together knowing that that love drives us ever on, that we can share that love, share that message with the world as we strive to be more and more like the love and compassion modeled by Jesus himself. Let's live that simple life out knowing that we are loved no matter what. Amen.